Hey everybody. Hey everybody. Welcome to episode 34 of Spoken Word with Electronics. Hope you had a good holiday. Hours went pretty nicely. Very thankful for that. I'd like to talk about data loading today, specifically firmware file updates in particular. The illegal sounds of not-for-human noises found in sound files. These are screeching and loud, wonderful noises that can cause deafness. <laughs> uh, with big warnings saying, do not listen to this. But you'll find them as sound files on a variety of manufacturing websites for updating the firmware on their devices. And I thought it would be kind of fun to talk about the history of them, at least the history that I'm familiar with, and maybe take a chance at making some nice mellow music with those same firmware files. This train of thought sort of starts with last week's Boing Boing post on loading computer software through vinyl discs. And you can look up the article Booting DOS from Vinyl on Boing Boing. It reminded me of some very direct memories of using my Atari 400 to load files the same way, though it wasn't through vinyl, it was through a cassette drive. I think we upgraded to the 800 at one point. My favorite video game on the Atari in 1982 was Sam and Run, incidentally, which took about a half an hour to load by cassette. At least that's my eight-year-old memory of it. A game of Frogger was less complicated. Salmon Run had a bear in it, which is bigger, and you were a fish, and you went upstream, and you avoided the bears to presumably uh, find love at the end of the stream. Frogger just needed to cross the street, so it only took about 10 minutes or so to, to load. <laughs> My interest in Atari cassette-based games peaked with Zaxxon, and I love Zaxxon in 1984, and having that at home was intensely fun. Zaxxon might have taken an hour to load, and I wouldn't even care. It was the coolest game I'd ever played, and the coolest thing I'd ever seen. There was a uh, board game of Zaxxon. I even had the board game. Is it Zaxxon? Zaxxon? How do you, uh, how do you casually talk about Zaxxon? But I had a board game for it which is a pretty awesome thing. I don't even remember the rules of the Zaxxon board game, but it just gave you a bunch of Zaxxon toys in which to play with, a bunch of Zaxxon walls, Zaxxon ship, some Zaxxon robots. It was a really cool board game. Think about how quickly you swap out games on like a, a night that you might be playing video games. You might just sort of stop playing one, load another. Uh, you had to pretty much commit to either Salmon Run or Frogger or whatever for that night. And there's a great Wikipedia article on early, quote, Atari 8-bit computer peripherals, and that's the exact title of the article, that talks about these add-ons. The Atari cassette player that I'm referring to, which I loved to listen to when it loaded programs, was called the 410 Program Recorder. And we had an Atari 400 and an Atari 800. And to my memory, they both used the same cassette drive to load cassettes they both accepted cartridges as well. But sometimes the game would only be available on cassette. In terms of the sound that is made, computer loading noises as an audio file is really painful stuff on your ears. 
There aren't many moments in history when these sounds have been made available to a user for information purposes, but the Atari cassette player was one of them. I suppose people could be certain that the game was actually loading. There's also the famous modem sound, which confirmed that a modem was communicating properly. That's a computer noise that I became familiar with in college. And then there's the fax sound, which did the same thing too, to say that a fax was being sent or received. And those two noises are carryovers from telephone communication itself, which is a variety of beeps and blips to either communicate a phone as dialing or a specific tone for a number. Every number on a keypad has a different sound or pitch, stuff like that. But fax and modem sounds are much more involved. That's why you hear a very quick blend of noises with either a fax or a modem. And you have more numbers and instructions being sent that are tones. My guess is you might be familiar with the term phone freaking with a P, phone, P-H-O-N-E, and freaking, P-H-R-E-A-K-I-N-G. And there's a great iPhone app called Phonal Tonal, P-H-O-N-A-L, T-O-N-A-L, that gives you push-button access to some famous phone hacking boxes. For one example, it gives you the infamous blue box along with a green box and a red box. The blue box is the beginning of Apple computers, a simple tone generator that played a 2600 hertz tone. So I got a phonal tonal here, and let's hear it. It's just got a keypad. Then it has six different separate keys, and one of those is a 2600 key, and that's gonna be a 2600 hertz tone, okay? So let's say I'm having my phone call with somebody internationally, and so we just call. And what would happen is we would initiate the call, and then very quickly, do that for a sustained amount of time. And that says that the phone call is ending, and then there's a 2400 hertz tone. Let's find it. I think that's it. And so if you do the two of those, basically the switchboard on the phone company thinks that you have severed the phone call with the 2600 and then the 2400. You and the other person stay on the phone, though, and you get a free call because they think that the call has stopped. It's the one instruction that this sound does, at least in old phones from the 70s. The blue box was created in uh, 1972. And this just basically says that we stopped talking. Uh, the Phonal Tonal app has a bunch of really fun stuff. It's got information tones. <laughs> That's, you know, that one. That's different. They're all different little information tones. They're all different. So in a way, it's kind of like a soundboard, but this app is really awesome in that it's based in different eras. So that's, uh, so let's go, let's see what the green box does. I don't know that one. So here's a uh, coin collect for a green box. Wow, those three buttons would be able to get free money from a phone probably. Here's that 2600 again. See what a red box does. Here's a sound for getting a nickel free or paying a nickel. Okay, you paid a nickel, paid a dime, paid a quarter. That's how stupid the phones used to be. They literally just needed nickels, obviously one, dime is obviously two, quarter is obviously five, all increments of five. There we go. Here's the international version of that 10 pence and 50 pence. 
Uh, very different sounding in my ears. I don't really notice the difference. That's interesting. Maybe actually this, the length. So that's uh, quick. Yeah, so that's what probably one-fifth of this. Yeah, exactly. Or I'm presuming. No mic pence button. Only, uh, only uh, 10 pence and 50 pence. I think that's because Mike Pence is worth nothing. Let's see. So basically, Phonal Tonal just gives you these tones. So also just really cool little uh, touchpad generator that you can have on your phone. I love it. And it gives me the opportunity to say, right there with the 2600 hertz, that's a blue box. And there's a point to me talking about it tonight because it's basically the simplest example of audio-based instructions for a computer. Blue Box works basically just saying one thing, we're hung up. That's it. And you suddenly get a free phone call. But it's very interesting how it really is just one, one button. That one. And you get free phones. If you ever want to get into Morse code operation, practice oscillators are the same thing emitting a single tone when you press down on the metal contact. The way the blue boxes work is a 2600 hertz tone was followed by a 2400 hertz tone. I believe it's this one. And it's what a long distance carrier would hear from the actual phone itself. It would be a tone that the phone, the payphone would actually generate by itself as a signal to indicate a phone call was disconnected. If your memory of using a payphone is that you've never heard this tone, it's because a human was never intended to hear this. would be sent after you hung up. But if you could mimic those tones, then two humans on the phone could keep on talking without being billed. And uh, the meter would basically be turned off, allowing for a free international call or, uh, or a long distance call or maybe even a free local call. I am simplifying this, but that's the basic idea. The, the blue box was Steve Wozniak's first circuit board, also, and I believe he put them together in 1972. And the design of the blue box, if you ever look at a commercial one, does show Steve Jobs' uh, touch on something like this, because it actually looks like an Apple-designed product. It's not tough to look at. They were a pretty cool pair. Blue boxes by themselves our basic synthesizers, incidentally. The blue box consists of a set of audio oscillators, a telephone keypad, which is this, and an audio amplifier and speaker, which is being replicated by this phone app, but basically you're hearing it, and oscillators, keyboards, and amplifiers are pretty much minus filters. That's most of what goes into the opening brains of the synth. So the computer cassette drives send many more tones than just this. And the basic idea of the tone indicating language is the same, however. And when I was younger, the sound of those cassettes was the coolest thing to me. I loved it. Uh, Atari put a speaker on the cassette drives. I'm not sure if there was any filtering on the cassette sounds themselves, if they did some sort of filtering with the tape, knowing that it would be heard by, by uh, children, you know, especially if children were to take the uh, cassettes and put it into their Walkmans or something. So to anticipate for that, they might have filtered it slightly, because my memory of the Atari tones is that it's less abrasive than what is the firmware tone that you can find online for current 
programs. Here's a few sounds of Atari drives loading software. Check that out. So this is not practical, however, for loading software on the scale of a modern game download with textures and audio, gigantic maps and rendering, everything. The average large game, I think, is easily in the 50 to 100 gigabytes range right now. And it'll probably exceed terabytes in a couple of years, <laughs> in a couple of years. But there is a world of electronics where these sounds still exist in really small kilobyte sized packages. And that's modular electronics. My interest in modular electronics has reintroduced me to my childhood love of bootloading sounds. The programming on small Eurorack modules is especially interesting. Eurorack is a music format where individual companies provide separate devices for making electronic music and noise, and all of these separate things share common sized front panels and they can all be plugged in together with a shared power supply. And the programming on small Eurorack modules is especially interesting. It seems to value, you know, low bitrate computing, both for audio and for video. And you'll often read of a single kilobyte remaining for bug fixes on a chip, for example, where a coder has exploited the limitations of an old chip for one thing and had a very, very low, shallow headroom for uh, any improvements moving forward. One of my favorite Eurorack modules is a British one from a company called ALM Busy Circuits. They make a clock divider that does a lot more than just divide up a yeah, clock into a variety of mathematics signals, but it's called Pamela's New Workout. And it was originally called Pamela's Workout. So the follow-up was Pamela's New Workout. And I would say if you have just one Euro rack module to start with, it would be that, and I would get that for interfacing with other things. It doesn't make any noises, but it can send some amazing waveforms into other modules and set up uh, drum rhythms and things like that. And the story of how the firmware has been updated since it was originally introduced is rather amazing. I think the available space on the hardware for Pam's new workout, which uh, is based on some small chips, or at least most of these are, maybe it allowed for 30 to 50 kilobytes for improving the module through code. And with that small amount, the company has added an array of muting, sequencing, wave shapes per voice, levels, uh, a weird Euclidean circles generator, and even some math-based logic now. And it continues to be updated, it seems, along with copious improvements to its core operating system. So normally it would just be like, hey, this is crashing there, and they would include a bug fix to keep it from crashing. But there are companies like ALM Busy Circuits who are, in fact, very clearly busy circuits because Pam's new workout is continually improved. Pam's new workout has a small USB connection soldered onto the module itself for doing these updates. And I hate that connection. <laughs> I don't like young micro USB connections. They are very flimsy. 
and uh, users are instructed to unplug the module from their Eurorack system to add these bug fixes and add features to the module. So to continually update PAMS requires turning everything off and pulling it out of the system using a USB drive to connect to your computer. But what PAMS has and all the other ones have are audio jacks right on their faceplate. Those are, I think, much better for interfacing and adding an update to something. And they're really super for small kilobyte-sized firmware upgrades that you play into a jack on the front of the panel and it does the firmware update through the sound file. I think that's far more practical than a small USB connection. And it's also kind of funny to compare to humans. Let's think about doing this for us as humans. Let's say humans were found to be crashing when they thought too much about 2020. They would get into a loop. And a firmware update could be applied to make us stop looping when we thought about this year to keep our operating system healthier. And the way we would update our firmware would be to go through a cassette, sent in the mail, <laughs> we'd get the cassette, put it in our tape drive, and press play. We probably have to do something like press down on our nose uh, for four seconds to initiate the upgrade. But after that, you could press play on the cassette and our minds would be primed for this new file. This update file might sound something like this. So uh, push down on your nose and listen and we'll update your firmware on 2020. Here we go. Okay, your firmware has now been upgraded to no longer loop on thoughts about 2020 or negative ones. This has been an audio-based upgrade that I sent to you. So then with this as an idea, our firmware would be upgraded to no longer loop on thoughts about 2020. And this would be an audio-based upgrade. And this is something you still find in electronics makers. So small electronics makers still use this method to upgrade their firmware. And the sound itself is very high-pitched and difficult. In fact, probably the most difficult sound as possible to hear. So I'll talk about it this week, but with some sensitivity to that. So it'll be a lower volume or I might even filter it. But all the firmware upgrade files all sound a little different too. And this is really cool to me. Uh, we're gonna talk about three today for our examples. And you'll hear how they all sound a little different. These are the firmware files, not the actual instruments, but the sound files to upgrade their firmware. So we're going to work with a monotribe. Here, I'll do that one really quick. A Korg monotribe. See how it sounds really loud and high? We're also going to work with the nano loop that's a little bit lower, but also a little bit tinnier. And finally, we have a sample player called W slash. And that has its own different tone. And I bet uh, some of you were probably uh, grabbing your ears when you heard all of those. Um, but they're all a little different. So I thought it would be kind of fun to make music with them or talk about them and try and make them sound nice. <laughs> I consider the firmware upgrade audio file to be really cool. And they all sound a little different too. And so the variety is interesting because none of the Atari cassettes are really sounded any different from one another. And a modem tone and a fax machine tone really sounds identical to any fax machine or any modem. So for our discussion today, we'll go over three different firmware files 
I just told you what they were, but I'll tell you again. The uh, one will be a Korg Mana Tribe. The second will be Whimsical Wraps W Slash Sampler Upgrade File. And then finally, the update file for our Nano Loop device, which I'm still enjoying getting to know. And then I'll talk about filtering and pitching them to make these tones audibly pleasant and look into looping some moments from each of them and look at making some pleasant music from the worst sounds on the internet. <laughs> I think we might actually make some really nice sound and stuff. So, because they're interesting things in there. They have like really quick uh, notes that happen and I'm kind of curious about slowing them down, adding some delay to a couple, you know, doing other kinds of things to sort of find music in that weird update file. So let's jump into that with a discussion on three firmware files and which I call the forbidden audio of the internet. <laughs> 